is going to be a very different episode of the Corey Act Show today. We're going to dedicate the entire hour to mental health and the Enneagram. That on today's Corey Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I know, I know. You, the Corey Act Show listeners, are thinking, but Corey... There's so much stuff in the news to talk about. How could you not spend your show on that? Well, because I think the thing we're going to do today actually has a, a great deal more value in the long run. And always next week, we can come back and get to whatever madness happens to be driving the news cycle. Before we get into any of that, first, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk here on the Corey Truax Show. I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina on 123 in between Greenville and Easley. You are invited any given Sunday morning, 1030. We'd love to have you there. Here's why I wanted to have this conversation. I'm going to have it with a guest here in a moment, but let me give you why we're doing this. A lot of you a couple weeks ago sent me the story of this pastor somewhere, I think, in the Midwest. He's actually not much older than I am. Four kids, successful ministry, struggled a lot in his life with depression, who killed himself. And you sent me that story, and I think you just wanted my response. I haven't really responded to it on the show. And then I add that on to what I see around me in record numbers of uh, prescriptions for anxiety, for depression. Just the anecdotal evidence I have in my own life of those around me, those that I love and the, the mental health struggle that they're in. You know, we're at an all-time high on suicides. Of all the time in American history, of all the Western democracies in the Western world, we are leading in suicides. So s- something's wrong here. Something's changed in American culture. And I think it deserves our time, and it deserves discussion. There are all the—this uh, is one of my core parts of the show, right? We say that it's the, the small minds that talk about people, and it's the medium minds that talk about events, but it is the big minds that talk about ideas. And much of the stuff that drives news cycles is about people and events, and they're important, but they're not nearly as important as ideas. And so here we are. We sit at this spot where we have more depression, we have more anxiety, we have, we have more prescription drugs, we have more drug abuse, we have all of the signs of a culture that's breaking, and it's that breakage is manifesting itself in all kinds of mental, mental health issues. I mean, I even see now there's ads all over the place for... Uh, like online therapy, people not going to actual therapists. They're they're doing their own thing through through chat boxes and phone therapy. We I, I've talked about it on the show a ton. We have an epidemic of loneliness. We've never had a more lonely group of people than we are. We've even isolated ourselves a great deal. So that's why I want to do it. And then when we're finished talking about mental health, there's a great tool for. I think healthier interpersonal relationships. One of the reasons I think we have part of a mental health crisis is our our inability to maintain healthy interpersonal relationships. And this new tool, that I, it's, not, it's not new to everybody, it's called the Enneagram. After we talk a little bit about mental health, I want to talk about that very important tool and how that can help us all have healthier personal relationships. And we're going to do that with a good friend of mine who's done a lot of work on it herself. We met in, sort of met in college, we'll talk about that in a minute. We actually met at work. She is the Director for Retention at Southern Wesleyan University and a very good friend of mine, her name. It's Emily Blockstorff. Welcome to the show. 
Hey there. Thanks for having me. We, we met. Did we? When I say we met in college, did we really meet in college or did we go to the same place? We went to the same place. I knew who you were, but we didn't really know each other. We ended up actually becoming friends at Southern Wesleyan. Right. Working, working there together. So Emily can actually attest to my lack of work ethic because <laughs> we were in the, the same place together a lot. Um, so before we get into Enneagram, uh, just looking around at the landscape of mental health, I just want to let you free, free range on it. Uh, just what you have noticed in the culture, even from the church and how we respond to it. Uh, what's your thoughts on the state of mental health in the United States? So in my, what have we lived, three and a half decades now? <laughs> Just uh, about. We're not quite the half. We are 33, okay. both of us, okay, right? Okay, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay, so in my own life experience, I think I've seen um, the state of mental health in the U.S. I think we culturally have become more aware of it. Yeah. I think yeah. that culturally we still have a lot of steps to take in terms of um, taking away the negative stigma? So, no doubt. I mean, I think we probably grew up in a world where the person who said, uh, where depression was mentioned, I think they were largely discounted. Like it was, there's nothing wrong with you except your own attitude. Yeah. Right. Or you were looked down on. Right, or you didn't talk about it. Yeah. Or, yeah, you were so... Sh- there, there was definitely a shaming around right. folks who couldn't come out from underneath that kind of darkness. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people, um, especially in the church, which I hate to say that, but you don't talk about it because um, if you talk about it or if you go to therapy or if you see a doctor, oh, you must be crazy. And that's just simply not the case. I heard a quote a couple of years ago about... I can't remember where it came from. But the quote was something to the effect of teens today have the same anxiety level as a psychiatric patient from the 1950s. That's nuts. That's Ah, That's crazy. That's a a joke. That's nuts. That's nuts. Oh, that's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) We're uh, we're both very good at puns. Yeah, and I used a a nuts joke for those that were uh, for crazy. But for real, though, I don't doubt that. The... I almost feel like we've gotten to ourselves to a place where we're so opulent. We have so much stuff that we can focus on all the wrong things. Like, But if you were in 1950, there were some core things to actually worry about, right? I mean, some things going on in the world and in your own families that I got to worry about these things about survival uh, where we, I, I feel like some, we've lived so well that a teenager today, what else are you going to worry about? And so you get caught up in your own head and your own emotions and you can really start spiraling. Yeah, and treatment is significantly different these days than it would have been then. And also much more available. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about more affordable, but certainly more available. So uh, I I think you pulled back a little bit when you said, I don't, you don't want to say the church did a poor job, but we did. Yeah. Um, There was, there was certainly a time uh, for for those that are, that struggle with even un, let's go with, uh, an anxiety or depression that doesn't have a good explanation. Because there, there are those times of sadnesses and anxieties where it's circumstantial. Here's a thing happening, and it's causing me to feel this way. Yeah, that's what I would consider anxious thoughts. Mm. It's temporary. So whereas an anxiety disorder would be longer lasting. And has sometimes no explanation. Like, there's some folks I know with anxiety disorders. They just woke up that day. 
and there is no, there, there's no explanation. As like the, I ask that question stupidly sometimes. Well, what happened? What is the <laughs> impetus for you feeling this way? The answer is literally nothing. <laughs> I woke up. This is how I feel today, and I can't, uh, I can't, I cannot focus because of all the anxiety that I'm feeling. Yeah. So I have um, part of my own personal story is a little bit like that. Um, for me, about so let's rewind about five years ago. Um, I had a good friend who noticed some things in me. Had done a lot of work in psychology and she noticed a couple of things in me and recommended I, th- I think you might want to see a counselor for some things and I thought no way Was there, you feel insulted by it yeah a little bit like that negative stigma you know like oh you're a little crazy you need to talk to somebody <laughs> about that but I'm not crazy at all um, and therapy was the very best thing that could have ever happened for me and it started as Um, I went into therapy for a very specific reason, um, to kind of right some wrongs in a relationship, things like that, but it ended up being so much more than that. Um, and so I got to talking to my therapist about, um, whether or not I might have anxiety, ADD, that kind of thing, because this friend had pointed those things out to me and she could not personally diagnose. And so we talked through some of those things. Um, I went to my doctor about it who can diagnose. And sure enough, she uh, diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder, as well as ADD. So not ADHD, nothing hyper about me. (laughs) But, you know, for somebody, so that diagnosis came in my late 20s. And in hindsight, I could see oh my goodness, like throughout my entire childhood, like why did nobody notice this? And I think what often happens is, uh, so we would be similar in this, high achievers, did well in school, very involved, very social. Um, I think it, it, particularly the ADD, I think that was overlooked and just thought of as like, oh, she's like spunky and creative and things like that. But then it got to a really, really hard point, like at work and things like that, where I just could not focus. I couldn't focus. I bring that back to where we started was that church response. So even to the the ADD thing, which is, I think, probably overdiagnosed, but certainly a real thing. Um, maybe a lot of these are overdiagnosed, but a real thing. The, the thing I wanted to put to, I, I guess, t- cap off that church conversation is we did... O- over-spiritualize an otherwise actual physical thing. Like, we don't spiritualize broken arms, and we don't spiritualize our physical health. But we did over-spiritualize the mental health. Um, like, I, I go to the gym every day, but the regular regular therapy is also a health thing, right? And it wasn't viewed that way in the church world. It was something you were, something, there's a spirit, definitely a spiritual problem. If you're struggling with uh, a persistent sadness, or a depression, or an anxiety, or a, an attention deficit thing, it's a problem with your spiritual uh, maturity. And I, th- I think we've done a decent job of starting to take the stigma off of those things. But would we agree we grew up in a world where that was the case? There was the stigma attached. And so I, I'm going to go ahead and say it on my show. I haven't said this before on the show. But I spent some good time in therapy, still with some regularity. And I also find uh, to be, like, when I talk about the, the gym, it is, uh, that's my analogy. I go to the gym regularly to work on my physical health. And you go to therapy regularly to work on your mental health. 
and it, it it's a good thing. I encourage it. It's also insanely expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have, to, you have to carve that out of the budget, but it is it is helpful. Okay. So worth it. So, I, I agree. I, I encourage those. I encourage people to do it, even if it's not the professionals. I mean, one of I said one of the causes of depression. I think in our age is our loneliness problem. Folks just don't have people to talk to. Uh, we we tend to be really isolated folks. So sometimes you you need the professional, but uh, it's anyway. I think it's helpful. Um, okay, so I think we've with we've, we've thoroughly covered. I think the the church part. We did it. We did a bad job, and it's getting better, right? So when we come back from this break, I would love to talk a little more about what you think might have. And I want to talk about why I what I think caused us to get here. What our levels of depression and suicide and all that. I have some ideas on that. I'll get you to respond to those. And then I want to equip you, listeners, today with, I think, a good tool for interpersonal relationships. And as we all know, I think the quote is, uh, I can't remember who said this, but it's life is easy, but people are hard. And so if we can figure out the parts with people, it'll make life a little bit better. So we're going to come back for that conversation with Emily Blocksdorf, Director of Retention at Southern Wesleyan University. We'll be back with that and more in just a moment from the Corey Act Show. Corey Act Show. This is when I all. This is the time of show always when I ask you to tell some folks about the show. And if you would be so kind, connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Act. You will find me there. As I've said many times, I am the only one. Much like Tigger of Winnie the Pooh fame, there is no other Corey Act. I am the only one. So find me there. And any thoughts you have on this topic and others, you can send to Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, or any of those various and sundry social media outlets. We are talking mental health, and in a, in a little bit later, the Enneagram. We are doing that with my good friend Emily Blockstorff. Hi there. Hey. So here we go with more mental health talk. I want to talk about why. Uh, so we have established we do have a problem. The rates are higher than they've ever been. For anxiety, uh, for uh, depression, and suicide, the church has not responded well. We can respond better. I, we probably should talk about some better responses in a minute. But can we talk about causes? What is something that you have that you think you've identified as one of the main causes for our higher rates of depression and anxiety and suicide? I think that um, because we have so much available at our fingertips in terms of social media and the more social media that's added, the more connected we are to other people. Um, and the more our lives are determined by likes. And I hate that. I think that our lives online are often fake and we want to post the best picture. Here's me and my friend at this place. Here's this awesome vacation I took. Here's this, um, concert I went to. And then you have the choice of 14,000 filters and you want to make the caption just right. And then ultimately at the end, I think, um, our happiness and fulfillment are determined by how many likes we get, uh, uh, whether it's true or not. So I feel attacked, uh, right now because that's me. I'm just, but there is a big chunk of me that, that the Lord is working on. But I know I've been that person. I know I've been that person who really needed a response from the internet to feel fulfilled. And that is an ins- a, it's insane behavior. But it is also a really quick way to fall into some self-loathing and some self-hatred. And especially in the media world that I'm, I'm trying to be in. I look out at, I'm going to toss some names out here. Are you familiar with Tommy Laren? Okay, you don't need to be. The she is. I'm gonna say it. She's not nearly as good as I am at this, <laughs> and she has a gigantic following. 
And it's because she's willing to say all the meanest things about all the right people. And she's willing to throw the bombs at it. And like, I know there were ways for me to get bigger at this quicker. And they were all the ways that would make me hate myself. But when I don't have that following, it has done that to me. Like I have, I have felt that. And so I, it, it is that advent of social media. We now see, we, we see everyone's highlight reels. Mm, that's a good way to put it. And we don't ever actually see like, I'll tell you this one. I've, Cause I've been a part of these conversations. I've seen an, an Instagram and Facebook feed of a married couple that looked like they were the happiest two people on earth. And they were not. Like, when you actually go and talk and meet, there's a whole bunch. Like, they are not as happy as they seem to be on the internet. And so we compare ourselves to everyone's highlight reels or fakeness, and then we, com- we compare and we're miserable. Um, so, th- yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a lot social media. I have to assume, you, you and I grew up in the first generation of the majority of us grew up in blended families or single parent homes. There, there has to be some of it as well. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an example of that single oh, parent yeah. home. So, and I'm the minority, I'm the minority situation that I grew up in a two parent home. And so in the, the blended family situation that had to be part of it. I also think it's the, um, I feel like this is the case. If you were not included in something, if you weren't invited to something and you're a high school student in 1970, you didn't even know you weren't included, <laughs> like unless you heard the rumors. But like with that advent of the social media thing, like you know all the cool stuff people are doing that you didn't get to do, right? And so you start to feel isolated. And even more than that, like even with some of the invites that go out electronically, you can tell who's coming, who's not, but you can also tell who has opened the invitation, who has read it, who hasn't responded. Like, it's even worse. It, so that one, I, I've done that before. Uh, the Evites, because that's that's a human being who actually saw what you have done and didn't respond to you. <laughs> you hate that. <laughs> Dude, like, how much do you have to hate me? Like, just say no. That's all you got to do. It's going to be fine. Okay, see, I had, I had one more thing that I think, oh yeah, I, most certainly, uh, it's it's also the irreligion of the age. Uh, th- there was a meaning that faith brings us. There's a meaning in life. Like, why am I here and what am I doing? Well, part of my meaning is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is the old catechism. But, like, I'm doing something for a spiritual purpose. When you lose that, well, then it becomes, I think some people in the generation behind me, uh, let's go baby boomers, maybe even Gen X. Well, my purpose in life is the American dream. I'll know I'm fulfilled because I... Uh, got a good job, and then I got a spouse, and then I had some kids, and then I got a retirement, and then I actually got to retire at this age. I saved this much money. That's what's going to bring me meaning in life. And then I think a gener- our generation saw that didn't make them happy at all. And so then there's this lack of idea of, I don't even know how to have meaning in this world. And then I guess final thing is the isolation. We we do have a loneliness academ- epidemic. You know, our, 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 family, our parents' age group, when they were our age, there was a poll I saw, not from the Census Bureau, but it was another government agency, s- said they had like eight or nine close friends. Our age group says it's like one and a half. My mom, that's so true. My mom has a group of women, there are 10 of them from high school. And from high school? She's going to kill me for saying this, <laughs> if any of them here. But they have been friends for more than 50 years. Incredible. 10 of them, all of them, they get together sometimes weekly, at least monthly. They all just got back from a big cruise. It blows my mind, and I tell her all the time, you have a better social life than I do. And, and, and that's in a situation where she is a little, a smidge older than you are. 
Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> I, I noticed in that age group, I mean, I certainly know some people who are a little older than I am who have, they're lonely. I certainly know that. But I look back on their lives and see healthier relationships. I think it's partly too because we're so transient. Now you, you and I are different because we've we tended. I guess you grew up in Columbia, but you grew you came to the Upstate. No, grew up in the Upstate, moved to Columbia after college, and then came back. Okay, so you've been in two places, but mostly the Upstate. Mm-hmm. I've been mostly the Upstate, so we are the exceptions. I mean, your friends from college. How many of them still live in the Upstate of South Carolina? Mm, not many. I can't think of one, if any. And they didn't even stay close. Like, they're all out west. Like, they went everywhere. They went to the D.C., L.A., San Francisco. They, they went to all those places. And so it's, it's hard to create a social group when you sort of know you're not going to be around, right? Much You're going to just keep moving. So I came up with this one a long time ago. You see if you think this clever. <laughs> um, one of the, the, the staples of American culture 30, 40 years ago was the front porch. Because you sat out on the front porch in the in the summer, and neighbors are walking by, and everyone is communicating with each other, and then it became a thing somewhere in the architecture of the suburbs that the back porch ended up being the more important feature, so that I can go into my garage, close it, enter my home, and no, literally my neighbors never saw me, and then get into my cave or go to my back porch where I literally never interact with anybody. Oh wow! Is, have you ever noticed it? like? That Literally, is clever. Our, our architectural systems. I've never thought about that. Have made, uh, well, the this the idea of the the attached garage. That's a modern idea, where like literally you never have to show yourself to the world, and it's isolating. Like we built an isolating world, and people get lonely in it. Okay, I think we're finished with mental health. We're going to move on to Enneagram. Unless you, Miss Emily Boxdorf, have anything else you want to say on the mental health part? Oh, I actually you, you didn't have anything else, did you? There, she say first, you shake your head. But this is radio, and you must say words on the radio. You can't just shake your head. So, talking about solutions, I'll, if you have anything you want to add to this, feel free. But let me just talk about getting better. For the church, we've got to be a people that are first acknowledging this is real. Uh, pastors that listen, I know I have a few church leaders that listen to this. I know I have quite a few of church leaders. There are people in your congregations right now, some big chunk of them, that are with regularity, struggling with depression and anxiety. And it's not a spiritual condition. It actually is something emotional and physical. It's something that you need to take, take some time to take stigma off. And certainly let, let gospel messages speak into it because there's a lot to say spiritually to, to help with these things. Uh, but it needs to be brought up and there doesn't need to be shame attached to it. And it needs to be an acknowledged thing. Uh, and then let me encourage, uh, there's plenty of good programs out there. I think Master Seminary has a great one about biblical counseling. If you want to, that's still clinical, but brings in gospel concepts to the clinical nature of therapy. Uh, I would encourage that as well. But uh, it's just acknowledging the problem and starting to equip ourselves. Anything else you would add to the solutions part? Sure. I would also say within congregations, um, even if you don't have mental health counselors in your congregation, equip your lay people with what to do. So my church actually has a really phenomenal program for this. It's a um, nationwide program. It's called Stephen Ministry. And so I'm actually going through that training right now, just started. And for people who want to make a difference in that area. um, And then I've also done outside of that, a little bit of 
um, mental health first aid training. And all of that is just because I have an interest. I want to be, I have an interest in it. There needs to be a solution. And I very much want to be part of the solution. Specifically, from this Christian perspective, wanting to be part of the solution. If we ignore it, the world won't. Right, they're actually the 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 secular world has been the more compassionate, absolutely towards this, and we know they have some clinical solutions. They might have some additional solutions, but they don't actually have ultimate solutions. Those only come in the church, and so if we don't address it, they will, and it's not an ultimate solution. All right, so as I said a minute ago, life is actually pretty easy. People are hard, and so what I have, uh, what what I want to do next with you is something that I've become quite attached to over the last year. The all things are submitted to scripture. But uh, in a biblical worldview, God has given us the social sciences and tools uh, that we can cultivate to help us understand each other and ourselves. And I've come across the Enneagram as a great tool for understanding myself and others. So that, I think, is, that, is that how you would describe the Enneagram, a good tool for under, understanding ourselves and others? Sure. Yeah, my I am very, anybody who knows me knows I'm very, very, very passionate about self-awareness and um, a variety of personality assessments Mm -hmm. and tests and I think they all um can can reveal a lot about us that can help us um but I think ultimately I think it's good to keep in mind that the Holy Spirit can't be measured yeah by tests and so I think it's a good way to measure our fleshly nature um that's good right there because you can't um, cause you can't measure God. Like he exists think, outside of all of this. I think Holy Spirit measurement is how many times you posted pictures of your Bible with coffee. Oh, how many likes you get yeah, for it that's actually. That's how spiritual you, know yeah. you are is when you post those <laughs> pictures and people respond that you're actually reading your Bible and drinking coffee in the mornings. So that's to give another, uh, I guess, illustration of what this tool is. If you're in the corporate world, you might've taken the disc assessment. You might've taken uh, Myers-Briggs. Enneagram is another one of those, but but I do think it includes a little bit more spiritual concept. It thinks about the human being as not only the physical. It, it seems to get more to the core of humans as having uh, not just, I almost call it metaphysical. It almost feels like there's a meta, uh, something of a metaphysical component to Enneagram. Would you agree with that at all? Sure, yeah. I think it can, at least allows for more spiritual talk. <laughs> I'm laughing because I yeah. wish people could like watch you when you oh. have these thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, it's quite entertaining. Anytime I've had a guest on the show, they <laughs> comment on how much I gesticulate. Um, and when I do Dr. Beam show on 91.9, 92.9 here on his radio talk, I do it on Facebook live And anytime. People, oh, wow. Yeah. I'll Facebook live the all two hours and I flail about <laughs> like my, uh, I'm, I move. That's the thing I do when I talk. And your voice moves a lot, too. It does. It does. And I'm sure the producers at his radio talk really, really appreciate that. Okay. So <laughs> back to Enneagram. Here's what I want to do. Uh, so here's the, the idea. There are, there are core motivations. And as Emily mentioned, maybe to our, our the fleshly self that needs to have some sanctification applied to it. And the Enneagram identifies nine personality types based on your core motivation. So you're going to hear some of these motivations. You might hear five or six of them and say, well, I identify with that motivation. But the chief question is what motivates you most? There's nine of these. Emily and I are going to take you through them. I will start with Enneagram type one. That's me. So I'm, I'm a one. It's called the reformer, right? 
And our chief motivation is to feel right, righteous, and justified. We need, to, we need to know we did the right thing, that we're doing things the right way, we're following all the right processes, that we're doing the things we said we were going to do. Of all the other motivations in life, the chief one for type ones is to know they're doing the right thing, the moral thing. Enneagram type two is called the helper. Okay, so the helper, um, they want to be loved. And they, the helper, they want to help. Um, these are your people who often kind of flit around during social gatherings and are always doing things for people. They Because they derive a lot of their um, success, I guess, by feeling loved by other people. And needed. They right, find, yes, that's good. They find a lot of feeling needed. That. Uh, my younger sister, who I love deeply, she's a, she's a big two. Uh, my one of my best friends, Shakai, is a two. They find a lot of meaning in knowing that they've served others and that they're thought of as someone who serves and helps, that they're loved because of what, what they do for other people. Number three is called the achiever. I've had folks think that I was the three, the achiever. Their chief motivation is to get to the next thing, to achieve the next thing, to get to the next level. That's how they're going to feel their significance, their primary motivation in life, is knowing that they're succeeding in whatever is in front of them. So you're going to see a lot of these types in the Silicon Valley world. You'll see them, uh, I think you'll see them in a lot of high-achieving areas because that's what their their personality drove them to do. I like to think that the three, like if you go back to middle school, high school, when you were doing group projects and you always had that one, usually a girl who would take over. She would tell everybody in the group, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Send all of your stuff to me. I'll edit and I'll submit the project. I know those people. (laughs) And that's uh, certainly I found it when I was younger. It was more girls. That would be the three. But that's the core motivation. I want to know I'm achieving. I'm going to find my significance and how much I've accomplished and what I get done. Number four, Enneagram type, Emily will tell us about. They're called the individualists. Yes. The fours um, want to be, they are unique. They want to be very unique. Um, They want to be different. They are often highly, highly emotive. So emotive meaning not not necessarily tears, just ex- extreme emotions, although they are also often pretty melancholy yeah. and want to feel all the feels yes. very deeply. That's what I wanted to say, to say was <laughs> they, the people in your life that are the most emotional, and it can be the highs and the lows, and they're very comfortable in their b- being emotional. They actually find it surprising, and this I'm not making any judgment call on this. They find it surprising that people would be uncomfortable with their level of emotiveness because emotions are just this very important thing to them. So that's a, a one way to identify yourself as maybe uh, an, an individualist. But that core motivation, again, is to find significance. And the way you find significance is be different than everybody else. You can't put me in a box. I'm like nobody else. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of us have that. But for them, it's the core motivation of who they are. Number five is the investigator. Uh, this is my big brother. It's also my youngest nephew, Caleb. They are both investigators. Their chief motivation is to be seen as competent and knowing what they're doing. So these are the folks that will slink back into a room until they're really sure, if it's a room of new people, until they're really sure where they stand in that room and how to interact in that room. They don't like to try things in front of people until they're really, really sure they can do them. They, they want to feel the security of 
competence and show that to other people. I also had a good illustration about them. I wonder if you've heard this illustration. People like me, and I think you too, or maybe not, I wake up and my battery for the day is at 100% and I am ready to roll. And I want to roll until I run out of battery. This yeah, that's not, not me. Not <laughs> I heard a great illustration about fives that they wake up and their battery is at 20% and it basically stays there all day. They're just running at about that level all day. They're low key in the background. And, that's a, and so they're also very, uh, very particular about their own personal resources. They'll give energy to the things they know are important, but until they know it's important, they don't want to give their energy. Yeah. To and they want to save a yes. lot of it because they don't know how they'll have to spend it later. Spend it later. That's the investigators. The number six, you can spend some time on this because Emily Boxdorf, you are number six. What are, what are you guys called? I am. We are called the loyalist yes. um, for many reasons. We are super loyal to um, belief systems, to people, to people, to organizations. Um, some people, some readings online will say sixes will go down with a sinking ship. And <laughs> it's very true because we're so loyal. It might take us a while to buy into something, but once we do, we're there. We're committed. Same in relationships and friendships. Um, readings, I'm not saying this, but readings say we do make the best of friends. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that my my best friends, I would include you in this, uh, Heath Powell is another one. Like They're all sixes. It's a pretty common type. Um, Another key characteristic of sixes, we want to have security and reassurance. Core motivation? Core motivation is? Security. Yeah. Yeah, yes. So with people and relationships and jobs, um, specifically in jobs, sixes want to have a leader that they can believe in. um, And then once they do, almost follow blindly. Again, you know to our detriment sometimes. Um, Sixes, here's a key way you could identify a six. Um, They tend to be, I guess this would lean more unhealthy, they tend to be highly, highly anxious about everything. Yeah. You you need uh, need to know all the details. Right. right. You need to know all the facts. Yeah, because we do every per, every possible permutation of everything to determine worst case scenario in every single scenario. So we're good Oof. because if you need somebody to think through every possible thing that could happen, that's us. It sounds exhausting. It is very exhausting. And we're going to come back to sixes a little bit later, talk about it more in depth from just your own personal life. Sevens, I'll do the seven here. They're next. They are called the enthusiasts. Their core motivation is to avoid pain. They have a, this is our folks that are a lot of, uh, they're the fear of missing out people. They like to do a lot of things. So the people in your life that are most likely to, to hear about a new thing and say, that sounds fun, let's go do it right now. That's your sevens. They want to find joy and fun and happiness and avoid all pain that they can. So those are your sevens. Eights. The challenger, yes. is that right? that's right. Okay, so they want to be in control of their own life. They want to be self-reliant, not count on other people. Um, this type tends to be, tends to sometimes come off as a bit abrasive. Yes. I guess, is that yeah. a good word? Um, but eights, if I can continue on that, they come off as abrasive. The same way I said about fours, that they would be surprised that people are uncomfortable with their, how, how much emotion they show. Eights are really, they, they're unaware that their combativeness is kind of weird for people. <laughs> right. Because they're, 
it's so core to them. Well, if there needs to be a change made, if there's a word that needs to be said, let's say it. Why wouldn't you want it said? Why wouldn't you want the conflict to happen? And they really would have trouble understanding someone like me who would say, you know what, let's just leave it alone. We'll just uh, move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think eights um, get a bad rap sometimes. And I am totally guilty of this. I often say eights are my least favorite of the types, (laughs) which is terrible. That's a mean thing to say. I know. They are really good at, uh, decision-making, at taking charge, at stepping up when other people want. Yeah. Um, they're big doers. In a room of people who don't want to take responsibility for something, they will. Eight, right, and they'll figure it out. Uh, last one, we'll take a break. The Peacemaker, number nine, The Peacemaker. Their chief motivation is to have an atmosphere without conflict. And so, you know, there's detriments to that. They'll, they'll put off conflict that needs to be had, uh, but they're also the people in life that are trying to create an environment around them that is peaceful for themselves and for others. And we could all use a little more of that. We are a little bit over on this break. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about these Enneagram types, how we interact with one another, how how they're helpful in understanding each other, and the experience in life of Mia One and Emily and her sixness. We'll be back, we'll be back with that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome in for the final segment of the Corey Truax Show. There is some chance that we are not going to finish this conversation in the next 13 minutes or so. And so if you're listening live on Saturday morning at 8.05 on 91.9 and 92.9, his radio talk, first, thanks. Thanks for listening to the show. But two, if you want to hear some more bonus content, you can go find the podcast, and the podcast is a blast. So wherever you find podcasts, Apple, you can do that on SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can find me on Spotify, literally anywhere that you find podcasts. You can come get the rest of the show. If you're listening on the podcast right now, just stay tuned, and there's going to be uh, some more coming. We've been talking today about mental health and the Enneagram. We just gave you all of the assessments uh, and all the the titles. So I'm going to take it back to Emily now. I want to hear about just your general opinion on the Enneagram in comparison to other personality assessments and how you have benefited personally from using the Enneagram. Uh, I might have said this earlier in the show, but I think anybody who knows me know would say that I am quite possibly obsessed. That's a strong word with personality assessments of any kind. I like them because it helps me know myself better. It helps me know other people better. And because in my life, I put such high value on people and relationships, um, Personal, knowing their personality and what motivates them, what drives them, um, what makes them sad, what's hard for them, what's easy for them. All of those things help me know a person better um, to the point now where it's hard for me to not type someone. Um, not Enneagram. That would be the one that I know the least about. You know far more than I do. I am super into the Enneagram. You yeah. are super into yeah, it. Yeah, I am. Um, I would say MBTI, um, also known Myers-Briggs, that's probably more my jam. It's also probably the most popular right. over the and last 20 years. And it's been around, well, a lot of them have been around a while. Um, they just weren't as mainstream right. as they are now. So Myers-Briggs, MBTI, I'm an ENFJ, the mm-hmm. teacher. Um, they're typically pretty friendly, pretty well-liked. I'm about to put you on the spot, and if you don't remember this, that's fine. Um, I know that I'm an ISTJ. On that ENFJ, do, do you remember what the E, the N, the F, yep. and the J? Okay, what oh, are yeah. Um, extrovert, okay. intuitive, feeling, 
and judging. But most of the words that they use don't mean what the word means. Like judging does not mean judgmental at all. I guess I probably can be judgmental. Sure, we all can. But the J means um, you like structure, order, schedules. You like to know the plan. Amen to that. So if I'm an on the Myers Briggs, we'll get back to Enneagram in a minute. On the I'm the I that's introverted. The S is sensing. So that would mean you see things black and white, factual. Oh God, you, no reading between the lines. You don't assume anything. That's hurt me in life a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm definitely that. So sensing IST. I'm a T thinker. Thinker, yep. as opposed to making decisions with your head instead of your heart. Yeah, totally me. IST, and I'm also J, the judge, the judging, and we we both like structure a whole lot. You bunch. like it a whole lot. Yeah, it's whole, my whole lot. It's my favorite thing. My favorite thing is a plan, and then sticking to the plan. Okay, so you're more into Myers Briggs, but uh, you you found that to be valuable, I'm sure. Yeah, and so other assessments also. I think you mentioned the disc earlier. Um, I'm a rare type on the disc where it's almost even. I and C, so people, person, and conscientious, which likes to take time to make decisions, think through things, um, very calculated in some things, which points to six, Enneagram, um, because you like to know, you like to plan for what's happening, and we hate the unknown. It's terrifying. So this is something that I've, I've, I've noticed about you, that is very different than me as the one not knowing a situation doesn't freak me out at all. Oh man. So for the listeners, um, Corey sent me the outline for what we were going to be talking about. And it was a couple of days in advance, which is great. This is not a complaint. This is a total six thing. I thought about it every single day after we decided that we were going to be doing this. And because I have to take a lot of time to think through, um, everything, what I'm going to say, because this is recorded, you know, it's not, I, maybe it's just an overabundance of confidence for me, but cause I'm t- I don't just mean radio stuff, but just generally. So I, sh- I, I, I work in higher education, right. And I show up to places where I'm, I'm not actually sometimes sure what they want of me. If I'm going to be in front of guidance counselors, if I'm going to be in front of one student, if I'm going to be in front of 200, sometimes I don't know. And I walk in and I, none of that matters to me. But you would want to know, what are we doing for a walk in the Well, train? okay, so let me say this. I don't know if this has anything to do with Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, whatever. If I am knowledgeable about a topic, I would prefer to be fly by the seat of my pants. Wow. Yeah, which is interesting. It is. It's kind of contrary to a six and a planner. But um, so I work in higher ed also, and when I worked in admissions – um, I can remember doing similar things and yeah. just knowing like the back of my hand, knowing SAT requirement, GPA requirement process, all of that. And I preferred to get up on the spot and mentally make like four bullet points because okay. I get so nervous ah, about things. Okay. So that's a difference on the unknown, but too specific to the Enneagram. You've benefited from it. Can, I'm, I can actually give you a specific way in which I've benefited from it. So I'm going to. And then if you have a story, I'd love to hear it. Being a one, where the, the number one thing I need to know is that I am moral and right and just in my own eyes and in the eyes of others, right? In, a, in one of my interpersonal relationships, one of the things that I noticed that was happening a ton or happened from time to time is the worst was assumed of me. 
the worst was assumed of me in all the time. And I didn't know why it bothered me so much. Like, why is the, the assumption that I am doing something wrong on purpose, why does that bother me so much? And when I'm reading this Enneagram assessment, and I go, oh, yeah, that's why. And so being able to just say, so I don't know if this is good or bad. I know it's just part of me. What's part of me is I need the benefit of the doubt. I always need it because I need to know that you don't think I'm just naturally a garbage human being. So give me the benefit of the doubt, and it's we're going to all be happier people. And I've noticed other things about other types, uh, like when I figure out what someone is. And so I know how to interact with them better, and it ends in a lot healthier situations because I know how to interact with them better. Is there a any kind of scenario where you know the Enneagram helped you that way? Sure. Um, I guess it's one of those situations, I don't know which one came first, chicken or the egg. Um, But I spoke a little before in the show about my diagnosis, um, generalized anxiety disorder. And so one of the key characteristics of a six is anxiety. And I remember when I first found out about the Enneagram, um, there's a ton of free tests and things like that you can take online. Some are better than others. Um, I took one that was not that great. And so it just, I think it asked like eight to 10 questions. And I actually mistyped as a two. I couldn't decide if I was a two or a three because I have some of those characteristics, Um, but the more I read and I had not even considered a six, um, but then that all happened. Actually, I think I found out about the Enneagram after I found out I had anxiety. And so the more I read about each type and learned about other people and talked to them, I realized, whoa, I think, I think I'm a six actually, which is quite different than a two or a three. Another way I know it helped me. I, uh, have, I mean, I, I, pr- I think primarily gathered a bit of a radio following because of my content during the previous administration, because I talked about, I talked very righteously and right about what is right and how we should be. And a lot of people enjoyed that. They enjoyed that attitude. And it, it also got, like, I, it strikes me when people don't see the see, see the things that I see wrong. Like, I see it. It's obviously wrong. How are you not seeing that this is wrong? And I, I've, I felt the frustration of that several times in my life, and not just the political world, just my own personal life. Like, how am I the only one seeing how terrible this is? And then recognizing, oh, that's actually just, it's not a good part of me, but it is a part of me. I'm reading that assessment. I actually remember reading my assessment. I took the quiz at EnneagramInstitute.com, like the, the big scientific one. It's like 15 bucks. 144 questions, this gigantic assessment. And I'm reading it going, you freaks need to quit knowing stuff about me, all right? This is weird, what you know about me. And I've had that experience, and it's, it's helped me be less judgmental. I've become less judgmental since I got into this Enneagram because I'm starting to recognize, oh, not everyone sees that doing the right and the righteous thing is the single most important thing in the whole wide world. And that's okay that they don't see it that way. Yeah, I think I would say that about any of the personality assessments. And I enjoy learning about other people's personalities just as much, if not more, than I enjoy learning about my own because it helps me know how to interact with them, what, again, what they value. Um, Like I know the things that get you all riled up and um, then also the things that you could talk very passionately about for hours and hours. Um, 
I think it's funny you mentioned the example that you did. Yes. Because uh, you made one slight political reference. And so yes. for listeners, <laughs> for the record, um, Corey mentioned a couple weeks ago, I guess, about a friend he had. Yes. Um, I can't, what was the exact phrase that, you used? That disagrees with almost everything politically. But <laughs> I we am, just really enjoy each other. Yeah, I am that friend. Yes. And for the record, we don't disagree on everything. But, uh. 50% at least? At least 50. I was going to say maybe like 70. And, we, we, that's, and that's totally fair. And we get along. Yeah, we do. Actually, a lot of my best relationships are people that don't think all the exact same things. And that's good to surround yourself with people like Amen. that. Amen. The other, the other world of that is really boring when we have those worlds where we just find echo chambers. And I think that is another reason why personality assessments, the Enneagram, it's good to know because... God created us to be relational, yeah. relational with him first and relational with others. And he wants us and desires for us to live in community. Yep. And if everybody in a community is exactly the same, how boring would that be? Horribly. And so it is important that we are all uniquely different and that we value each other's uniqueness and differences. And everybody has different skills that all work together for the common good. This is an entire uh, analogy for Paul, first with the body. Right? The body can't say, the, the nose doesn't say to the ear, you know, it can't criticize the other. So he talks about the church as a body, that we all do need each other. The, and the Enneagram is by no stretch on the same level of Scripture, but another way in which to categorize folks that say, we really do need all of each other. The uh, we need those eights to show up and get stuff done and force hard things because right. the nines won't right? right because they're seeking out peace and we need the sevens to come along to make ones like me stop what we're doing and the threes like me stop grinding and go have some fun and we need the sixes to go ahead and be good friends and listeners so that we can well, I don't know work through all kinds of stuff like we all need each other we have different specialties we're about to have to end the show we got thirty seconds left hey, Emily thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. When we're gonna do a bonus episode or some some bonus content for you podcast listeners, if you're listening on his radio talk ninety two point nine and ninety ninety one point nine, go find the podcast. I'd love to have you over there. We're gonna talk about this some more, and I'd love to talk about it specifically, maybe even in like uh, relational things between men and women and different types and things like that. So we can have some fun there as well. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love. Welcome in for the bonus edition of the Corey Truax Show. As we continue to talk Enneagram, and I think it's it's health and effect in life. I'm doing that with my good friend Emily Boxdorf. Hi there. Hey there. So let's let's go uh, relational things first because there's an entire subset of Enneagram for romantic entanglements, romantic relationships, and how to handle one another. So I'll just start with with one of uh, my thoughts on this, just as an example. Um, ones like I am we are really we're fact-based we're right and wrong with no room for for gray and there, there's an entire set of Enneagram folks who are I think they're called the feelers the there's I can't remember how that's ta- how they say that. it's called the feelers yeah. right? oh and it's fours fives and sixes I think I don't remember which ones they are good oh I don't know if it's called feelers I know what you're talking about now okay but they they're the more emotive people and so, are you good? That's it. That sounds more familiar. I think there's like a section of head, heart, and gut. That's it. You got it. You nailed it. That's it. That's exactly it. And so, we're. I'm a head person, right? That's where I, I dwell. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. In recognizing with the people that we, we love and interact with, when you know you're interacting with somebody who is coming from the heart, 
being a patient person around that and then getting reciprocation from the heart people that recognizing I'm trying to get to point B and I'm standing at point A and I want to be sensitive into how we get to point B, but I do need you to know that that's the outcome. And if we can meet somewhere in this conflict knowing we got to get to B and I'm going to be sensitive about it, just knowing that about each other is particularly helpful. So, uh, like, so ones and that's, I guess, fives. I almost think, I'm almost sure that's fours, fives and sixes. Um, any, I mean, is there anything that you, you want to mention before we do wings on general, like how to use the Enneagram in relationship? Um, I think just knowing, I think, I'm trying to decide. I think knowing more, knowing as much as you can about another person that you are in close relationship with is incredibly beneficial. It's helpful to them because they feel more known and loved and it's beneficial to you or or to you know us as people because we can learn more about a significant other a best friend a parent a sibling um, and ultimately it benefits the overall quality of the relationship well just knowing for example with my little i'll go take my little sister i think she listens to the podcast knowing that she finds a great deal of significance in being the person that helps and serves, like uh, of her of the of the five love languages, she's the gift giver, and she's an incredible gift giver, very thoughtful, and it, it tells you what's a lot of effort in. And knowing that she's going to find significance in that, acknowledging it, and knowing that the reaction that you give her from those those gifts, the reaction you give her when she does something for you, because she, that's how she's finding meaning, that's just a good thing to know about a sibling. It's a good, it's a healthy thing. Uh, with my my nephew Caleb, who's uh, who, who's a five and, and is going to be that. You know, I'll use Kobe as the example. My, my Kobe is my 14-year-old, unbelievably energetic seven. He's He just wants more stuff to do. Just find me some fun. And just knowing that is it's good. So that when we're making making plans for whatever we're doing, vacations or weekends, knowing that Co- Kobe is going to feel validated and included if I can find a way to, to make sure he's, he's having some fun when he does it we just have uh, it's it's worth the effort to know to know one another in these things you know specifically i mentioned love languages there there i can give you other examples outside of love languages and, compl- and can actually use the enneagram but the i've, I've had this discussion with somebody on love languages i there was a uh, yeah it was a, a husband who was shows acts of service that's his thing that's that's the way he shows love and the way in which the wife in the situation feels loved is quality time. And so he is out cutting the grass and doing errands. He's doing all this stuff. And him, he is laying out all of this affection he has for this woman because of all the stuff he's doing. And he wasn't around her for hours because of it. And so she feels neglected. And like, you don't love Obviously. Right. And that's how <laughs> she feels. And so he's actually making effort at affection. And it's not how it actually comes across to her. And so just the point there being, knowing this about each other, it can be love languages or Enneagram, we're going to have better relationships if we'll do that. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so I do want to talk a little bit about wings. Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah. So in the Enneagram, if you actually go look at it at Enneagram Institute, and I I think you should all go take at least one of the tests, it actually is a a a geometric, geometric shape. And they're all they're all the nine types are connected to one another, and you can actually see the the geometry of the system. So uh, the the way this works with wings, it 
you have your your dominant personality type, but there's logic to which one is a one and which one is a two and which one is a three. They're not put together randomly. It go it going reformer, helper, achiever, individualist, investigator. Uh, you're called the the, sixth, loyalist. the loyalist, the enthusiast, the challenger, and the peacemaker. That's good. Thanks. <laughs> Being in that order was on purpose because you'll tend toward your secondary personality traits towards the one that's cl- uh, on either side of you. So I'll use me as an example, and I want, I want to get yours. So I'm a one-wing nine. My other option is to be a one-wing two so because I can only have the one next to, the one of the two next to me. And so my primary thing is do what's right. Do the right thing. This is what we need to do. Make sure you're on time. Make sure you're early. Do all the right stuff. Follow the right processes. And my secondary thing is to not necessarily find my meaning in being loved or being helpful, but it's creating peace. This is one of the reasons I think I even lost some, uh, I lost some popularity with some listeners because I started being a voice that said, hey, I wonder if we could stop hating each other. I wonder if there's a possibility if we could be a people uh, that doesn't see other folks who don't think like you as a, as an enemy to conquer and maybe just think of them as a human being to try to convince. I love peace, right? So that, that's, my, that's my wing is I do want to create peaceful environments. And I'm going to give one more example and then I would like to get yours. So the, uh, for example, I'll give you another one with, let's go with Caleb, my, my nephew. He's got to be a wing four because he's, he's talked about it with me. He has, like, he has plenty of emotions. He just does a very good job of masking them. And he, he loves, he has his very individual interests and he finds a lot of meaning in being different than a lot of other people. For example, he is 16 and he's very much into dog training. This is not a hobby most 16-year-olds have. And he actually finds his own age group very alienating because he knows he finds significance in being very different than everybody else. But he's first of five. So that's how the wings work. So you are a six. What is your wing as a loyalist? Well, first I wanted to give an example of yours um, because you mentioned you're a one-wing nine and so you want peace and for people to get along, which uh, just want to give an example of being your friend. It makes it almost impossible to have negative conversation. Like I can't complain to you about things because (laughs) you're in that way. You're just so positive. Like, but everybody can get along. And yeah, I mean, every now and then it's obnoxious, but (laughs) it's, I value it because it's a great perspective and you're right. Like, Everybody can get along. Yeah, we can if we try. You know, I actually had a since we're in the we're in the bonus, I can do whatever I want to. I had a thing going on at North Greenville over in August, and um, a, a staff member from another office came into my office, a little riled up, and was telling me about something they were ups, something they were upset about with a decision being made on another side of campus. And I had a bunch of people in my office at the time, and a lot of them have com- commented on it since. That my response was, well, you know what. What's so great is you don't actually have to worry about it because we can trust the people that we have in that office. You can trust the residents' life people. they got great people over there. And you can trust the student life people. You can trust these folks. Like They're the ones that have to handle it. You don't even have to handle it. So let me take that burden off of you that you don't have to worry about this problem. And that was me leaning on that wing nine because let's just create some peace in this thing because that's a, that's a valuable thing. Now, you are a six loyalist. I actually don't think I know your wing. Seven. Well, I'm you, a six wing seven. Okay. Yeah, I am. How have you seen cer- that manifest in your life? I'm certainly not a six wing five. <laughs> that make, yeah, that, that makes sense. You're um, right, yeah. So six wing seven, I think the they call it the buddy. They do. Um, 
how I've seen that manifest itself. Well, a seven is the enthusiast. Is that right? Yes. They're generally highly extroverted. And so that is a big part of me. I am, I, I do love all the people. Mm -hmm. I love meeting people, getting to know people, um, having fun with people. So what's very typical of a six is we want, especially in relationships, we want reassurance. Right. Almost to the point where, it becomes annoying because we always we always want to ask, "Are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay?" And you know, rephrase it. Right. And it probably comes off sometimes as emotionally needy, but it's not necessarily. Um, we we just want that constant reassurance, and um, because we value security so highly. I saw a meme about your Enneagram sixes on something you just saw, said. That you might find offensive, but I find funny. <laughs> um, it was an Enneagram six, and it was, it's a woman talking to a guy, and it says, um, "So you say you love me? Do you love me like a wife, wife, or like a friend, wife?" Yes, it's <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's like you guys are married. <laughs> that is a six thing. Like reassure, yes. reassure mm-hmm. once again. That's, yep, that's good. Um, so those are those are the wings as, as you start to do this, uh, and I hope again, I think you would all benefit from spending some time in Enneagram. Uh, you'll you'll see what one of those uh, sides is what you'll lean you'll lean on to. Only other thing I want to talk about on the Enneagram is specifically some gospel messages to each type, and I, I, I kind of want to give give them to you. And if you have comments on any, just stop me. Is that cool with you? Okay. So uh, where this is a good tool, we come back to. I mean, I, this is a very Christian program. I don't have. I mean, I do have some secular listeners, but. You guys keep coming back despite my very specific perspective. So as you do Enneagram and you recognize, let's say as a one, your biggest need is to feel like you're right and you're righteous, there's a gospel message that responds to that that says, but you won't be. Even your best works, you, do, you nail it and you can do all the best stuff. Uh, it is still, your righteousness is still rags, and so you got to lean on Jesus as that righteousness. When, you, when you're a two, and you recognize, I do have this deep need to be loved, and so then I try to earn love by serving people and helping people. But then there's that gospel message that says, hey, this, whether or not you, you help, whether or not you are doing, you're still loved. That's the message the gospel says. You don't have to do to be loved. You are loved, so then do. We could go on with these. There's a gospel message to the achiever with the three that you just feel like you have to keep achieving, you have to keep doing if you're going to justify your own existence. But then there's that gospel message that says, hey, rest. Jesus has done everything that has to be done. You can rest in who Jesus has made you. And I could go on for type and type and type. Again, I'm not going to because uh, that would take a while. Um, but it's, it is important to redeem all these thoughts, right? We redeem the times. And the Enneagram is not specifically Christian, but it has offer, it offers us a system to get to know each get our, to know ourselves better and then we can respond to those things that are unhealthy with gospel concepts. So I want to toss that up before we go. One last thing. And then uh, if you have any other thoughts, it's all yours. When One of the things Enneagram lays out for us is how we change in times of integration when we're growing and times of disintegration when we are very much stressed out. So I'll give you an example from me again. When I am at my best... I take on some of the best parts of a seven. That's my growth. So in my best, when I'm at my emotional health, I'll take on some of those seven things and I'm just ready to go and do some fun stuff and really be, be, the, be in charge of the room so we can go and have a good time and include everybody. 
that's where when I'm at my growth, I take on some of the best parts of seven where you're just ready for a fun time. At my worst, in disintegration, I take on the worst parts of being a four. Really moody and really down and very emotional and judgmental and very angry. Like that's what the, the worst parts of a four is a lot of anger. And so uh, it's, it's good to know these things too for different parts of your life. That you, it's helped me in some of my worst times knowing. So what's coming out in me now is some of the worst parts of that that four. I'm in, I'm in disintegration. It's I don't know something about knowledge helps shore up shore my shore, shore me up mentally. Like I know what's happening. I may, it may not change my feelings, but I do know what's happening, and that helps a lot. So there's another word on enneagram. Okay, I think we're finished on it. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention on this program? Um, I guess if people are curious about other numbers and yes. health and growth, I think mine, correct me if I'm wrong, for sixes, when they're moving toward health, they move toward a nine. That's right. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So that's the peacemaker. Peacemaker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a little unsure of some of the titles and things like that. My best friend is a nine. And so that is really helpful to me um, and makes sense and makes perfect sense because I often find myself thinking, man, I should be more like Kendall in this, (laughs) (laughs) just like kinder, nicer, more forgiving, um, listening a lot more. Um, that would be where I move in health. Um, what is the other term? Disintegration. Disintegration or stress. Yeah. In stress. Okay. I like that better. In stress, I move to three, which makes a lot of sense because when I'm stressed, I tend to get bossy yeah do 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 get yes do all of the things i don't want to have close interpersonal relationships during those times Mm -hmm. like i'm just focused on the task at hand so you know the worst i just realized the the worst part of disintegration for a one like for you it's get stuff done get bossy you know what i actually do i think i sulk or pout that's the word (laughs) It's, it's funny to me, yeah, that you would move toward a four because generally, I was going to make a joke a second ago when you said something about feelings. I was going to interject and say, you have those? I know. <laughs> I don't have feelings. That's yeah, I mean. because you're generally just pretty level-headed and mm-hmm. steady and not not that you don't have feelings, but you just don't really outwardly express those. Yeah, no, never. I mean, sometimes on the air, I come across as angry. So but- I would bet that might be challenging for you. It is to yeah. to be to be in a space of four who's uh, very feely. No, when I yeah, and those when I starting to feel like actually feel super like actually do have those emotional times. It's like you're a f- psycho. You got to quit this garbage you gotta, with the, all the feelings. And then that's but that's not that's not the case. You know, the feelings are actually I've come up with a good line. Feelings are information. That's all they are. They are they're information for you to <laughs> respond to. That's just, it's your it's a data feedback loop. Your your emotions are giving you information. So what do I do with them now? How do I act? I'm feeling this emotion. What is it? And how do now I respond to That's it? That's a good point. And in terms of mental wellness, mm-hmm. a lot of people out there say, well, I'm crying. I can't help it. Yes, you can help it. <laughs> we are in total control of our feelings. We are. I just wanted to get that in there. Now some more synapses are firing. Uh, so you said a, a good thing before the, we went to the bonus about how we all do need each other. And I gave some illustrations of that, but I started thinking through that some more as we've been talking. And I do, I do think of the nine who loves peace, but some of us love peace so much that conflicts that need to happen, we will put off 
like hard conversations, we'll not have them. And, and it, it actually hurts us. And that's why we do need the eights in our lives to, to come along. You know, there, there is the, there's that one who is, we're perfectionists. We need everything to be right. And we do need that six or that two to come along and say, you know, it's good enough. You've actually done quite a bit. And you can be okay with what you've achieved right here. The three needs that. The three needs that five, that six, that two to come along and say, you know, you've achieved a lot, right? Like you've actually done a ton. Just because you haven't done the next thing doesn't mean you haven't achieved a, a, a lot. And oh, I could continue on with those. For the seven, the sevens tend to be super scattered. And they seem to be, the mo- they're probably the most scattered and unorganized group of, of them all, seven, because they're very, uh, they're into lots of things. Right? All fun, all the time. All that, right. Well, they need the, the one to come along, the nine to come along, the three to come along and say, let's focus. Because you have so much to give. If we, if we don't focus all this, all this energy, you're not going to get anywhere, right? And so it's just a really good system to start seeing how we interact with one another. And you should go do it. I did mine at the Enneagram Institute. Yeah, another thing that I said before the bonus that I want to make sure the podcast listeners hear is that any of the personality assessments and tests out there are a measure of the flesh part of us. And nothing can measure the Holy Spirit in us just... the Holy Spirit exists above space and time and yeah, well you, We really everything. didn't get a chance to really pound on that when you said it. And so that the measurement of me is a one. That is a, the parts of me that are unredeemed, right? You can redeem the one. You can redeem the six. And that for, oh, that's such a good word. It's like the, uh, all the parts of us that, because there's, there's negative parts to all of them. There's pros and cons of being a one through nine. And that's who we are in the flesh, knowing that all things can be sanctified and even the, the worst parts of those. Yeah, and it's also important to understand with any personality assessment that it it can't possibly define 100% of who you are. Yeah. It's just not possible. Yeah. You can't. I have a friend that he will say, I won't be boxed in like that, you know. Um, but it's true. Like you can't. You just can't define every specific part of every individual's personality and motivations. There have been parts of oneness that I've read and went, not, not quite me. And I think it's going to be the case. But overall, again, those core motivations, the core motivations have been very accurate. I, I mentioned in the show, I, I really did. Got, I got freaked out when I read my assessment. It was so accurate. Like, how do these people know me so well? Yeah, I feel like they were, I was being spied on. But it's just a really, it's a really good system. I think I'm out of things. Is there anything else you want to mention on any of this? No, this has been great. It has been great. We did an hour and 10 minutes on this. That's pretty dang good. That is pretty good. So to bonus podcast listeners, if you want to just show how thankful you are, I'm going to do this. You can go to the Anchor app if you want. You can support the show because I'm providing you so much good content. You can go to the Anchor app and support the show. I would really appreciate it if you did it. Emily, thank you for giving me an hour and 10 minutes of your time. Thank you for having me. When the next show comes out, we'll be off of this topic and probably back to stuff that's in the news. I actually had a great uh, Marco Polo left for me by a listener I want to get into. And if you have comments, uh, you want to respond to this in any way, Show at gmail.com. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find Emily Blockstorf on Facebook or Instagram, by the way, as well. And if you have other comments, you can also leave it Marco Polo. You can leave voicemails on the Anchor app. There's lots of ways to get your comments in, and I hope you will. Until next time, everybody. Peace and love.